from Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent. This is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 133. My name is Simon Forster. No, no, it's 134. Yeah, you know, is it is it so long since I did a, an announcement and titles for a podcast that I no longer know how to do it? Possibly. Yeah, that could be the case. It feels like it must be about, what, three weeks since we've done one of these? So, uh, Mm. yeah, so bear with me, folks. Um, So, as I was saying, my name is Simon Forster, and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Hello, Perry. Yeah, hello. It's good to have the two of you back. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah. Um, Okay, Uh, first thing I wish to... Do I want to say thank you to Mike Gutterman for being with us last time and breaking the show? Um, I guess we do. I guess we do. Um, so thank you, Mike, for, for, for being a, a very entertaining guest um, with us on, on, on the last show. Um, so, uh, yes, um, we've, we've got an email about that as well, uh, which maybe we might get to that uh, because that's one of the things with today. Because we haven't been on for quite some time, um, we have an absolute stack of emails to go through. So we're probably going to keep uh, the kind of things we've been up to relatively short and start to go through um, a whole pile of emails. Not entirely sure if we'll actually get through all of them uh, because there are a lot and they're good. Um, so, uh, yeah. But before we get on to that, uh, let's head over to Hong Kong and see what Perry's been up to. I've been up to shockingly little. Uh, last couple of weeks, just everything has come back, and I feel like I've gone from zero to 100 overnight in terms of just sheer workload uh, for the last couple of weeks. So I, I haven't, I've barely touched a camera in the past two, two and a half weeks or so, which does mean that uh, my not buying anything streak is going very strong. Uh, so that is very successful. But since the last time we recorded, there are a couple of quick things. Uh, number one, I do hold, want hold, to hold, do... Hold on, Perry. Something's just it's just hit me there. He goes, it's, you're not buying lenses and cameras and stuff has been very successful. That's not complete success. So it, was, that, was that a choice of words there, the, to, to try and weasel your way out if you actually have bought something, but it, it's so so small and minor it doesn't really count? Or, or is that actual real full success and you really haven't uh, bought anything? Yeah, yeah, full, complete success. I haven't bought anything. Okay. Not, <laughs> not even film. Yeah. Okay, that's, 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 that's good to hear. I just, just, just in case you were trying to slip something past us there. No, no, no. I, I, I mean... It's. I, I've acquired a few things, but I haven't bought anything. Uh, I'll, I'll talk <laughs> oh, about that later. Okay. Uh, now you're going to talk about these acquisitions. A little bit later. Yeah, a little bit later. Okay. Okay. So we'll we'll make the judge on just the, the legitimacy of whether these things are actually really purchases or not later. Totally legit. Um, so I uh, first things first. I want to do a quick thank you to Ethan Moses again for sending me that mongoose prototype. Uh, and it's super cool that he met his Kickstarter goal. Um, and I did promise him a quick review, and I, w- I will give a really quick review of this mongoose insofar as it does exactly what it says it does. And it has reduced my scanning time from about an hour per roll to about a minute per roll uh, minus setup time. 
So that's awesome. And um, th- this thing, basically, this is my go-to scanning device for 35 millimeter now. No question about it. And it even does X-Pan. So fantastic, fantastic little device. Good job, Ethan. And thank you. Now that's that's well. I think I think did it actually hit the target while we were on air while we were recording last time or not? But it certainly um, it was around about the time when it was either about to or it did actually reach uh, its target, which was in a, re- a relatively mm-hmm. short period of time. Um, so I'm absolutely made up for Ethan that is 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 achieved that uh, because it, the he's put in an absolutely huge amount of work in there. And uh, and this also had to deal with quite a few people that don't really understand the product and um, and be very tactful with them. Um, you know, this just isn't for everybody. It's for some people. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and the the you know the fact that you've you've got one and it's it's doing exactly what it's designed to do is just great news. Yeah, the dude is a mad scientist because every time you know I sent him a bunch of feedback um, the first few times I used it. And every time I sent him feedback, his response was, yep, thought about that. Here's how I fixed it. Yep, thought about that. Here's how I fixed it. Whoa. So the uh, the actual Mongoose is going to be a far more polished product than the uh, prototype that I have as well. Excellent. That's cool. His X-Pan grip did not fit, though. So my X-Pan <laughs> never had to suffer the humiliation of a color-changing purple and pink uh, grip attached to it. it you sure you just didn't break that. it just so you didn't have to use it? No, no, no. One of the corners was too long, so it wouldn't uh, line up with the screws. It, it was blocked by the ISO dial, which was, uh, uh, I don't know if relief is the word I want to use, but I very quickly and gleefully told him, that doesn't fit, man. Don't, doesn't fit. So is it, I, I assume you're sending an, another one uh, in Barbie pink or something like that? I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think um, you should. Yeah. 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 Do, do it, Ethan. <laughs> revised prototype uh so so that's the mongoose um so i'm really happy about that and when i finally get through another role i will definitely be busting that thing out again that said i know i know both of you digitize 35 millimeter film with uh digital cameras and and you know like whatever lens is attached to your camera um just a quick question what do you guys use as your light source uh i've got a, a really cheap uh tracing pad from amazon um and and which isn't really a problem uh because i'm digitizing largely black and white um mm. there's potentially a, an issue there with uh, with color uh, i have no idea what the color temperature is i don't know if the color temperature is consistent across across it or uh, whether it's something really weird or whatever um which i, I guess it could be corrected but i think it's just it's better to actually have something that started out in the in the in the correct pl- color temperature place that you would want, which is why a lot of these devices that are perhaps closer to being designed for that kind of use are, are so much more expensive than the than the cheap one that I use. Yeah, okay, that makes sense because I've just been using my uh, phone or an iPad and it works fine. I just wish it were a little brighter, but I haven't tried color with it for. Well, A, I haven't shot any color film, but B, for precisely that reason. Well, you, when you say, are you doing that, that's how you're illuminating your mongoose? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, it's a flat light source. It's totally fine. Yeah, that, I thought it would need uh, a, a bit more light than that. That's, that's That surprised me. Um, um, also- I mean, yeah, like I said, I wish it were brighter because I am having uh, to either slow my shutter speeds or jack the ISO a bit. Um, but... 
and, and that can be a little bit annoying if I'm pixel peeping and looking at grain slash noise, but it, it really is not a big deal in practice. Have you have you got a flash? Uh yeah. That's that's the way forward. Mm, no. Yeah. Yeah, that I, that I, I, Ethan Ethan said that to me. I Sorry, disagree. Johnny. I disagree. <laughs> you're 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 quite quiet at the moment, Johnny. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Uh, I might have changed the wrong button. Is that better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I disagree. Unless you've got a studio mono block, it's your as your power fluctuates, your your exposure is going to change. So that makes sense. Yeah, you need you need it. It either needs to be a plugged in flash like. The duplicating stands that Pentax and others made back in the day, it was an AC plug-in so that the flash intensity was stable. Um, otherwise, it's gonna it's gonna change as your power source changes and your recycle rate can affect it as well. Mm-hmm. So you you can do that. It's just you're not gonna get as much consistency as if you use a continuous light source. You know? Yeah, that makes total sense because I know the the recharge rate of the flashes yeah. I have is slower than the the mongoose will will right. go. Yeah, so it's th- that's why I say, especially for the mongoose, it's gonna it'll be if it's not an AC power source, like a good mono block, it's gonna it's gonna definitely it's gonna fluctuate. Yeah, because that thing does a does a roll in less than a minute. Yeah, ex- exactly. And you, what you don't want is, you know, you want to be able to batch edit them if you're gonna. Do the entire exactly. role. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't there any, I imagine you've got all those uh, nightclubs out there where nobody go into them now. You'd be able to like pick up a strobe <laughs> or something like that and just, just stick that underneath it. You know, play music at the same time. Yeah. 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 I'll go rob a nightclub and steal their lamps. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, so that's the mongoose. It's great. It's really, really fantastic. Uh, other than that, I haven't been up too much, but I did mention that weird um, Yifeng rangefinder coupled helicoid device, and I spent uh, around an hour and a half in Little Garden with the uh, with the ladies there, figuring out how to get this thing to take my lenses, and it it works. It's a very interesting contraption because it's very well made, but the back of the helicoid that that uh, couples with the rangefinder, so that cam. There's like a brass ring on the end of it that uh, screws out, and so it's like an adjustable cam. And you're supposed to file that down to be accurate with the lens and camera, because you know not every 50 millimeter lens has the same sort of movement, uh, you know, optical mechanical uh, movement in terms of its focus from infinity to minimum. So I have. Um, yeah, I've been filing this thing down uh, over, <laughs> for a little while now, and I'm just waiting for a couple of custom-made parts from Little Garden to come so that I can attach a few of my lenses to it because it comes with a few tubes that screw in. And I've seen people take lenses like Wollensack Fastac Raptors, and I, I don't know how they attach them to these tubes, but they, it's some kind of it must be some kind of glue because they're they're unthreaded. Uh, but there are threads in the adapter. There's an inner thread and an outer thread. So I'm trying to figure out a mechanism that will give me a thread onto the adapter that will also be adjustable with the lens so that I can get infinity. Uh, and then we should be good to go. And, um, uh, you know, any 50 millimeter lens will be usable with pretty accurate rangefinder coupling, which is pretty, pretty exciting. 
Nice. I, I, I do wonder about that, though. Um, as, you, as you were just explaining uh, what's going on there and, you've, and you need to shave something off the... Uh, uh, off the back of the uh, the the adapter, we're talking about the part that attaches or touches the cam, mm. uh, which then uh, operate operates the rangefinder. Yeah. I mean, that to me sounds like you you're talking about getting the, the a a good starting point, right, which I assume is say it's infinity. Uh, so infinity is correct, and then as you uh, focus, focus the lens that pushes it further and deeper into the camera, which which moves the cam, which uh, makes the the rangefinder uh, adjust itself. And the, the theory would be that the 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 two things will be in sync. Uh, the the helicoid and the and the cam would be in yeah. sync. Now, that's the bit that, that concerns me a little bit. I see where uh, you're going with this. Yeah, because different lenses potentially would need to move that cam at a different rate. And correct. I mean, certainly different focal lengths, that would certainly be the case. But even within uh, the same this focal This is only length, for 50. This this thing is only for 50 mil. Okay. Well, sticking, sticking with the 50s then, um, and going over to using some uh, rangefinder knowledge from large format cameras, uh, MPP micropress cameras, and I assume this will apply to men, many other uh, cameras, but the micropress cameras have a, uh, a rangefinder, and each uh, cam it, there's, there's a there's a profile on the uh, uh, on the on the camera uh, that uh, that reaches that that interferes with the cam if you like, yeah. and each cam is uh, there's a serial number, and and that serial number corresponds to a very specific lens. Yeah, Bingo. so you put a different lens, even though it's say a one three five lens, which would would have been a standard lens at the time. Um, only one of those lenses will be truly in sync with the rangefinder. Mm-hmm. Yep, you are absolutely right. So the proper way to use this thing is to uh, customize it specifically to one lens. Hence, having to file down that outer part. Uh, although theoretically, you could just get multiple copies of the part that screws onto the end of the cam and file those down. Uh, to be custom for each lens. So you're right, infinity is your starting point, but the travel throughout the focus has to correspond with the lens. So I'm hoping that it's just going to be close enough um, that it'll give me a little bit of versatility to play with, especially if I get an adjustable thread on the front. um, So I can, for example, get it accurate at minimum focus or accurate at infinity uh, and switch between them. But to truly get this thing to work like a native lens i would have to have either one per lens or a different cam that i screw yeah. in and out for each lens so you're yeah. totally right yeah it would it would make sense on you and you've already you've already clearly thought about it and and that's just to actually perhaps have the have it set up for close focus rather than infinity because ultimately infinity you're almost certainly going to be shooting stop down so you're yeah. going to be within the realms of hyperfocal distance whereas it's going to be far more critical with something closer to which you're probably more likely to be shooting closer to wide open or wide open yeah bingo yeah cool yeah so as soon as i get the parts to get the uh lens on then i will continue to file down this cam to get it to correspond with uh, probably start with this Ultron, uh, 50 millimeter F2 Ultron. So that's pretty much it. That was all like three weeks ago. And I, I really haven't done anything camera related <laughs> since, except for one thing that 
Uh, I'm going to save for the emails because it, uh, it it directly answers the first email. Cool, cool. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's ho- head over to uh, Chicago Town, the uh, the the place where the pizzas come from. Uh, at least my Chicago Town pizzas are available in the local cheap supermarket in the freezer section. Uh, Johnny, uh, I, I thought we found where those were made in the UK. There in some <laughs> industrial estate, didn't we? <laughs> by a German by a German company. By a German company in an English <laughs> industrial state state somewhere in the Midlands, not far from you, I believe. No, 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 no. It's um, not not in the Midlands. It's in the Northwest. Oh, it is. Okay, even yeah, better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in uh, COVID Central. Although uh, my my area is 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 now quickly following behind them, so uh, we're going to be right. there as well. Right. Excellent. <laughs> yes, I'm in Chicago town, and it's and it's sunny. So there. Excellent. You go. Yeah. Yes. All all good. Everything's beautiful. Everything is beautiful. What are we talking about today? What's on, the, what's on the menu? I'm hungry. I'm starting to get hungry now. Well, I was going to say that certainly the, uh, the 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 main course of uh, discussion in the in our podcast group on on Facebook has been largely about food over the over these last three weeks. I don't think anybody's am, really been bothered about actual cameras and lenses. I am still craving a Frito pie. Ever since that conversation, I haven't had one, and I'm still craving one. So. A, a, a what pie? So you take a bag of Fritos. And you know, no, you got to you got to explain that one for for. You don't have Fritos in the UK? Oh, no. that's all right. You'll get them after you leave the EU and you become a lapdog. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll throw you a chip every, We'll Along throw you a Frito every once in a while. Yeah, and with chlorinated chicken as well. With chlorinated chicken and Fritos, yeah. yeah. Um, Fritos are uh, are corn chips that are um, sort of if you imagine. A, a a rectangle, a long rectangle, about uh, four or five centimeters long, but they are in various kind of like irregular shapes. They're not all evenly the same shape. They're just sort of some are curvy and you know, like picture a this probably this chip thing falling out of a machine that cuts them off into the same length, and then it falls into probably the vat of cooking oil where they get deep fried or whatever and then they come out and they're all sorts of anyway it's a corn chip with like just the perfect amount of uh uh salt and whatever on them so they're they're highly addictive to eat and they're very crunchy um so you take that bag of corn chips and into that you literally slice the little you know uh it's like the size of a a crisp crisp bag right that you would get at the pub um you slice that open down the middle and in that you basically put uh a chili so you put chili in there and then you put your um your onions and your sour cream and all that so the the corn chips are the base for uh basically a bowl of chili and but you eat it out of the bag so it's like a like a street street food you know it's self-contained like a like a like Chinese food, right? Because mm-hmm. you're you're using the bag as the support structure. So so you get basically you get chili on top of really really good corn chips or maize chips, I should say. Corn you would you'd be confused by corn chips, probably <laughs> maize chips. Sorry, sorry. What what is this about Chinese food being self-contained? And they come in the white boxes. <laughs> What? 
<laughs> Perry, you're from North America. You got Chinese food in little white boxes with fold flaps oh, on the top. Like in, in, in TV shows like Friends. Yes. I, that, that's real. In Canada, they don't serve Chinese food in those boxes. I thought that was just How like some weird. You serve Chinese food if you don't have it in white boxes. That's that's not even Chinese food. I I didn't know that was real. I thought that was just some weird TV uh, sitcom thing. You you guys get Chinese food in like I paper swear boxes. To God, when I was in Ireland, they had Chinese food in those white boxes. So for they... some reason, every little town in Ireland has a pub and like a O'Brien's Chinese restaurant, or <laughs> Indian takeout, like the smallest, the smallest shit hole backwater town I was in in the west of Ireland had a pub and a Chinese restaurant. I'm not even kidding. And it was like O'Brien's. And I guarantee they had those little white boxes in there for takeout. No, I, I know the boxes you're talking about. I just didn't know those, those were actually a thing. Absolutely, they're a thing. <laughs> so you, you don't get that with the local food in Hong Kong then, Perry? No. No, no, no. It's like what? styrofoam boxes or normal takeout boxes or just eat it on a plate. So, oh my God, styrofoam, really? So that's like the one bright spot in the packaging universe is that Chinese takeaway boxes are actually made of paper and not styrofoam. Like they're, they're actually like recyclable. Our Western food comes like that. A, a lot of Western takeout. You get... So your Western food comes in the little flappy boxes and the Chinese No, no, they're just, yeah, they're like these in, in these cardboard. I, I went to a Southern barbecue restaurant last week and then the takeout that we got was in a typical, like just a cardboard box. Um, with a little flappy lid. Oh dear God, we're this, <laughs> this world is this world is screwed. I had no idea how bad things really were. <laughs> if you get takeout from a, a Chinese restaurant here, you just they just give you a styrofoam box in a bag, oh, plastic that's bag. Awful. So like, so if you get Thai food here, it typically comes in those styro styrofoam boxes. But Chinese food definitely comes in the in the in the paper boxes which by the way interesting packaging note um those boxes are you can eat it obviously you can just fold the four flaps up and scoop right in but they can you rip can, it out yeah you, you well you can actually fold that package down and it essentially folds down into a plate it's br it's a brilliant piece of package design yeah like a cake box yeah sort of right but like if you were going to eat an entire cake right out of the box you could flip the lid but i mean in other words what i'm saying is the package sort of transforms into a plate if you unfold the kind of the you know the, the outer dimension of it it's brilliant we'll put we'll have to put a um a link in the show notes for chinese takeaway boxes i'll make a note of that right now okay so there's that um so basically, Frito Pie, it's the it's it's like it's like getting a ch chili dog or chili like in the bag of Frito maize slash corn chips. So it's it's really really good. So would that be like the head of the of our our podcast group at this moment? The head of image, uh, which for anybody that hasn't been on there. Uh, is the Frito Pie Chili Dog podcast um, yes, is the logo it, for our group at the moment. Correct. And the right side of that logo is a Frito Pie. And the left side of that logo is a Chili Dog. Right. Yeah. Chili Dogs are awesome. Chili Dogs are awesome. So, so yeah, the, so the big news here is that um, 
here locally for me, about a block from where I live, uh, there's a Portillo's opening on November 1st. So Portillo's is like, it's like a local chain. Actually, it's sort of national now. Um, it's, it's like a local hot dog chain. So think of like a, you know, like a, lo a local chain restaurant sort of, right? But, but it used to be literally a hot dog shack and this guy turned it into like a, literally a multi-billion dollar business. And they're in a few different states now. But anyway, it's a Chicago style hot dog uh, place. And the big news is that there's one opening like a block for me in Chicago. So it's like the best thing to happen in 2020. Um, so on the 1st of November when they open, they're doing a promotion where the first like hundred people in the take in the, in the drive up get like t-shirts and pins and all sorts of shit. So that is where I'm going to be November 1st. I've got it. It's been, I have like a countdown going for it is I'm going to be up at like eight o'clock in the morning in a, in the drive through at the, at the new uh, Portillo's. Speaking so of, uh, I'm going to order myself a chili dog just to make things interesting. So, so speaking of Chicago food, have you guys watched any of this um, new Netflix series, Emily in Paris? No, I heard about it, and it sounded obnoxious. I think I watched like five minutes of it, and it was like some Trixie girl from Lincoln Park being obnoxious. I was like, "Fuck that!" So, so I, I'm finding it incredibly entertaining because it's like the perfect pandemic after work unwind show. Uh, but there's a reference to Lou Malnati's in the first episode. Yeah, I heard about that too, which, which again tells me that the premise is because it was a, it supposedly a disparaging Lou Malnati's reference. So I'm not going to watch that show because I, I'm not going to, because therefore whatever is going to be said is inauthentic BS written by some writer who doesn't know anything about Chicago. So well, I mean, the show has been criticized for uh, amplifying French stereotypes, and it also uses some really interesting lenses. By the way, if you look at the bokeh and the night scenes, just to keep things on topic, um, <laughs> but it's been disparaged for its stereotypes of the French. And I gotta say, it's like incredibly accurate depiction of the French in my. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm more upset that it sounds like a disparaging stereotype of Chicagoans. I could care less about the frogs. Yeah, that that I that mean, that too possibly. Yeah, I was I was wondering what a French boker is. <laughs> it, <laughs> it hasn't shaved or taken a bath in a month. <laughs> it just smells bad. It's smelly boca. Uh, Do any this French, is the, um, everybody. This, this, this is this is people. Yeah, this is satire. Everybody, it's satire. No, no, no. This is this is deadly serious. We don't have any <laughs> French people that listen to this show, do we? I don't think we do anyway. So it doesn't matter. We say whatever we want about them. Plus, you know, they're white. I mean, it's like you know, there's nothing off limits about making fun of white Europeans. I think there's, we do have. A, I think we've actually got a letter from a French person. Well, you know, what are you gonna do? Tough shit. That's where you grew up. <laughs> You're you're French. I can't help you. Sorry, you're white European. You're told you have. There are no limits to the amount of of making fun of that is allowed when it comes to French people. So just like it's the same with Americans, there is no line to be drawn because it's just a you know white male, boring, cultureless society. So there you go. So anyway. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so so this is a camera podcast. So I've been watching uh, the Queen's Gambit on Netflix, and there is a great scene in that with a Roloflex where there's actually photos being taken with the Roloflex and done very well. So that's that's my camera reference to get us back to talking about whatever it is we talk about. Because Perry brought up a show. Yeah. On Netflix. Yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, move, move things on and uh, take the microphone away from Johnny as quickly as I can and um, head over to uh, what I've been up to. And I'll keep this particularly short because uh, there's, I haven't actually been doing that much either. Um, considering like we've been away for as, as long as we have done, we've actually done less with cameras and things than, than normal, it seems. Um, but uh, I, I think the, the, the big announcement that I've got is uh, the arrival of a beauty flex? Oh no, no, it's not a beauty flex. No, it's a Fodor flex uh, TLR camera. Is that tumbleweed? Yes. What is, what is a Fodor flex? <laughs> a Fodor flex. A Fodor flex is a vaguely Dutch-sounding camera. Um, oh. And I do believe it, it. It does actually have Dutch connections because that's the uh, the name of the company or Fodor or something on those lines. Um, imported into the Netherlands, uh, a uh, rebranded Beautyflex uh, TLR camera. Oh, okay. Which is uh, very much a, a, a knockoff of uh, of a rolling cord, and it's really really nice. It's really nice. Um, I mean, to the to the point where, I mean, the, the controls are, are different to a rolling, well, certainly to my rolling cord anyway. Um, but if you were to, you know, do something like like a, a blind a blind test of which one you you thought was uh, the 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 better built camera, the more premium product, it would come out to be the uh, the the Fodor Flex or the Beauty Flex every time. It's 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 just beautiful. I'm, I'm I'm really really knocked out by it. I've I've no idea what the lens is. It's uh, well, apart from it's a I think it's an eighty mil eighty mil three point five, which I'm told may be connected to uh, uh, a Yashiko uh, design. Uh, but but it's called a biocar biocar with a K, um, which sounds really cool because it sounds like yeah. Is it is it a biometar? Is it a biogon? Is it a biotar? You know, it's 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 intriguingly close to all all of those things. It won't be a biogon, of course, because it's not a, a wide angle lens. Um, but, I mean, some um, um, nasty I mean, people. Right? Nasty people have said it's a Tessar, um, and I I I think that that's that's just they they just they're just trying to make me think it's a Tessar, but it can't be. I mean, the reason why it can't be because I've I've quite got into these uh, these beauty cameras because I, I i saw what else saw what else they do and they do a 35 millimeter uh, rangefinder uh, compact camera and yeah. that's got a 45 millimeter f 1.9 biocar so it's it's got the same night it's got the same name so that therefore it must be like some kind of uh, symmetrical uh, design uh, because they couldn't possibly use biocar on a on a Tessar for a TLR and a and biocar for a uh, um, for a one point eight uh, sorry one point nine millimeter lens on thirty five mil could they? You're saying it's inconceivable that a brand would use the same 
designation <laughs> on two different lenses with two different designs. That's exactly what I'm saying. It sounds like Zeiss. I mean, that sounds perfectly conceivable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- there's lo- there's loads of those. No. Deca- or, or anything from Kodak that they just decide to call an Ektar. <laughs> anything from Konica that they call a Hexanon. <laughs> or Yashanon. Yeah, but Biocar sounds like it's a Biotar, doesn't it? It's like oh. it's a- it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a planar design. Let's let's just face it. It's a planar design, and let, and we we can just leave it at that. It's it. You know what it reminds me of is um the on some of the uh, what is it the uh, the Zeiss the Conorex cameras have a um a a super cheap ass lens that they call the Pantar. Mm, yeah, <laughs> where it's you think because of the it's got a P. They were like playing <laughs> off a planar, but it's like a it's like a triplet. You know, but they made it sound roughly like it was like a, a, a special lens by calling it a Pantar. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like that sort of thing. They're psyching you out. It's, it's all a psych out. Yeah, well, it's, work, it's working on me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and especially now that I've seen uh, this 35 millimeter uh, version of it, which we were chatting about the other day because it looks suspiciously similar uh, the actually, this whole camera does to um, to to some of the uh, good uh, Petri um, compact cameras, yeah. and we were chatting about that because we it, it's. I mean, you you've 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 seen one of these things in the flesh, and you you, you think have. it's connected. I think they're more than connected. I think they literally rolled out of the same factory. I think that they were making them in the same factory they were making. So, and I'm I'm talking about the Petris that were. Uh, I'm talking about like let's call it 1957, 8, 9, 60. So beauty camera company went bankrupt right at that period of time. And I am almost positive that those, um, those beauty 35 rangefinders were literally built at the uh, Petri factory, or at the very least they were, they were all Petri parts that may have been assembled elsewhere because it's just, they are just too similar. I mean, they're, they're, they're like just the same, the, the same camera with a slightly different outer mold to them. I even wonder about the lenses. I mean, who knows, but I, I, I mean, having held them side by side, they are so remarkably similar in the way that they look. Um, it's just the slightly different, like, body styling but the the basics of the camera are all exactly the same i mean they're it's really weird the way the way you're they're, talking there though you you you've you've definitely looking at things through petri petri goggles aren't you because you're you're making the assumption here that petri was like the you know the the the, the grand maker of all these things then these old these these smaller manufacturers would come to the altar of petri and plead no, 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 for some of their at, bodies no 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 not at all i'm just looking at the reality that again beauty was literally bankrupt they went bankrupt in like 1957 58 so so there's that there's also the fact that the the japanese companies were it wasn't even a it wasn't even a, a question they were they were all sharing yeah technology and everything to to as in the post-war era to you know economic was an economic recovery thing so i mean there was tons of sharing going on but i i I think that was more than just sharing with the beauty the beauty stuff the beauty uh rangefinders because they're just they're just it's just too 
they're just too similar. <laughs> Even the way they're they're badge, they have the little the little uh, metal badge that's like stuck into the leatherette. It's it's remarkable how similar they are. It's like the whole design ethos of them is is it, they're just too similar. Yeah. Something something fishy was going on for sure. When, when I was, when I saw the picture of this of of, of one for the very first time, I, thought, I it made me think Petri. As soon, yeah. as soon as I saw it, in a good way, by the way, because I, I really yeah, yeah. like those yeah. uh, the, the Petris of that era. I've been after one for for a while, but uh, I ne- nearly landed a color corrected. Uh, I, I saw that you sent a link in the chat. Did yeah, it, it slipped out my hands, but I, I refused to pay more than £35 for it. Um, oh, why are they so expensive now? I, I, exactly. I mean, it's a fortune, £35 for a, for a quality camera like that. No, yeah. that, I'm serious. I wouldn't pay that much. I wouldn't pay over 50 bucks for one of those things. Yeah. Not a chance. Yeah. So one day I'll, I'll, I'll get yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've just got to be unusual to come across in the UK because I can't imagine. And I, actually, I, it's funny. I noted that the one you showed a picture of, it was EP marked, which means it was purchased on a military U.S., military uh, base yeah. so yeah. it was pr- it probably the reason it's in the uk is somebody brought it through yeah you know what i mean well, some yeah. service serviceman brought well, it through well pe- petri cameras are, are not rare over here i mean especially racers well that, um, but i mean, I mean there's tons the, of those things yeah but i mean the, the the later stuff like that is probably i know that they like all you guys were really into shit slrs because you were so poor in the sixties, like your economy was still so decimated that you, you know, this East German crap would come over and you guys are like, Oh, Pentagon. Um, so it does not surprise me that they were, there were tons of shitty Petri SLRs around and people actually, to this day, I get the sense people think that they were an aspirational camera brand or something in the mid sixties <laughs> when those were the absolute worst of the worst pet trees. That's when they were on their serious downslide towards absolute like g- junk camera oblivion. <laughs> those, those mid sixties Petri SLRs. So I, I believe they turn up because they were really, really cheap. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's going to happen, and uh, who knows? It might even work as well. It might. Um, I doubt it. It, it, it might. Yeah, might. Well, let's, let's, we'll it's go possible. with that. Yeah. Okay, so let's. Uh, so that that's pretty much what what we've been up to, and we've got about fifty minutes left of this podcast, because we know we've got a hard stop. So, shall we try and cram in some emails? And whatever we don't do, we'll drop into next next week. Assuming yeah. we do next week, you know. Right. Sounds good. Um, yeah. Do you want to just dive right in? Yeah, let's go for Get it. Some David Blumen, Blumenstein. Mm-hmm. Some David Blumenstein. Subject, lenses that fake it. And this is uh, from September the 20th. So aging email a bit over a month old. Um and so David says, hi, guys, I was interested in a comment Johnny made on the CLP Facebook group regarding his Rusar and the really nice car pics he's been taking with it. Quote, this lens also isn't particularly sharp, but pretends to be with strong highlights and texture. Close quote. I'd be really interested in hearing more about this topic and the idea of perceived sharpness, as, li- uh, as Nick Lyle put it in the thread versus actual sharpness. Obviously there's a lot uh, of variables at play, including stuff 
Uh, I choose to shoot and to set up my own computer when I look at the images, but anything you can add would be interesting to me since I know bugger all. I perceive <laughs> um, my Tear 11A as the sharpest lens I own, uh, but who knows why that is. Also, would be interesting discussion more generally to hear about lenses you think fall down in one area but are able to make up for it in others. Cheers, David. Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I can talk about the Rusar, or I guess I guess that's a quote from me. It's like a politician. I don't remember saying that, but if you tell me I said it, then I guess I did. Um, yeah, it's not particularly a sharp lens. It, it's, it, it, but it has, it, has, it has good contrast. So the contrast of the lens, I, my, my take on it is the contrast of the lens makes it appear sharper than it actually is if you get right down to, you know, um, clinically measuring sharpness. I don't think it's that sharp of a lens. Uh, but it, it, at, at standard viewing distance with, you know, of an image out of that, out of that lens, it, it looks really poppy. And yeah. I think that, I think that's why it appears to be sharper than it. Cause it's just not, a, it's not a very sharp lens. Well, I think there's a conflation of terms here because yeah. a lot of times when people say sharpness, what they actually mean is resolution. Yes. Um, where resolution is a measurable uh, variable of a lens where sharpness is perceptual. And a lot of things come into play in sharpness, like the final uh, medium size, the you know contrast, any sharpening that's been applied. So there are lenses that you know the when you pixel peep them, they they look really bad. But when you look at the images, they they really jump out and they look really sharp. And yeah, um, I, I have a lens in front of me that I'm holding right now that I got via Gem uh, Gerenstrom in Melbourne that I think has. Gemosaurus, that's right, the dinosaur. Yeah. That uh, I think has that quality. This is the Kodak Ektar 105 3.7, which is a Heliar design for the uh, baby speed graphic, uh, 6x9 or 2x3, whatever you want to call it. Um, and this lens, I shot it recently, took some pictures of uh, some friends and, and my girlfriend and a, dog, a new pet dog on Portra. And when you look at the images sort of up close, it, it doesn't resolve super well. It's not particularly high, you know, resolution, but, but there's something about the way that it renders details. When you look at the image as a whole, that it does look very sharp and it has a really pleasing poppy look to it. And I think that's a quality that a lot of lenses have where, you know, my cook speed pancros do that as well. They are very sharp, but when you zoom in, they're not as, like clinically sharp as as some modern lenses, but when you perceive them or give them a little bit of post processing, um, the per perceived sharpness can just be absolutely out of this world. And yeah, I mean, loads of lenses do that, right? Yeah, they yeah they really a lot of lenses are that way. Um, another one that comes to mind for me is the uh, Instar twenty nine uh, on half frame. It's oh the the weird 28 millimeter thingy. Yeah. It's, it, it's the half frame, um, lens, which works really, really well in Fuji. Um, but anyway, it, it, it has a kind of a perceived sharpness to it that it, it is not at all a clinically sharp lens. I mean, not even close, but it has really great, 
perceived sort of sharpness to it if you you know if you're not pixel peeping on it it's got a really really nice look to it and so that's the the, that's the 69 not the 29 right the sorry the 60 in 69 yeah yeah um so yeah i tend to be a fan of lenses like that that, Mm -hmm, that, yeah so like a lower i i should i should use perry's right about terminology i should say be saying resolution because sharpness is more of the perceived uh perceptual right um so the resolution is lower but the the perceptual impression of the lens is that it is you know is sharper than it is because of the contrast so there's the the first time i encountered this phenomena was when i did a a test that must be about three or four years ago now of 28 millimeter lenses uh, which was in the, and it still is if you look it up in the um, in photography with classic lenses, um, 28 millimeter test that I did. And I had some, there were some top 28 millimeter lenses and I like, um, like the uh, LTM Biogon uh, was, was, was in there. Um, was it like a M, be like a M, I suppose. But um, that, and, and, that that was sharp. It was high resolution. It was contrasty, and 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 so on and so on. Um, and then you got other lenses such as the Sigma Mini Wide Two, which you know listeners have been listeners that have listened from the early shows would uh, would have heard us talking about the Sigma Mini Wide Two on many occasions, being a, you know a top budget pick for twenty eight millimeter lenses, and. I, I looked at the photograph that it, it did, you know, compared it to the others, you know, visually, and it uh, uh, it looked different, but I liked it. Um, and then when I actually zoomed in to pixel peep and check the resolution, it was really weak. And I was shocked, shocked how weak it, it was in, in terms of the resolution. And I think that was the first time when I, I, I realized that it just doesn't matter. It's about the image and about what the image actually looks like as a whole. Um, so there were probably quite a few lenses out there, but it was it was good. It had decent contrast, which which is probably where I I vary, uh, I differ from Perry uh, because he likes his low contrast. I I'm not a fan of low contrast generally speaking, because so I find it harder to focus. But whereas uh, Perry's perhaps using those lenses more on rangefinders, where it doesn't yeah. really matter. Which are your focus. Is exactly, exactly. So. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so I'll just throw the mini wide two in there. Yeah, and it's it's not just a, a contrast thing, right? Because when it comes to perceptual sharpness, a lot of factors come into play. Because there are plenty of low contrast shots, especially on black and white, that can look really sharp because of the tonality or the edge sharpness. But I mean, perceived sharpness, the the size of the medium and the final output is is arguably the most important thing. Because um, I mean, I've I've had people comment on shots of mine that are borderline out of focus and and they've said like oh this is so sharp but the reality is because you know i posted it on instagram or facebook which means i resized it for that medium and then output sharpened for that medium so it's gonna look sharp yeah um on like instagram or facebook resolution because i know how to sharpen for that um and and, you know if you're doing a a print then your output sharpening is going to be totally different as well and that's going to probably have more of an impact on overall perceptual sharpness and it's only really the pixel peepers who, you know, th- this Heliar, right? This Kodak Ektar 105 3.7, people who pixel peep it just say that this lens sucks, just sucks, um, which it does if that's what you're doing. But the results on the actual image, I think, look fantastic and look plenty sharp enough. So, you know, 
once again, another reason why you shouldn't pixel peep your images because that's totally not representative of the resolu- the resolution that the lens resolves is totally not representative in all cases of how the how sharp the image is going to look in the end. That depends on a lot of other factors. Yeah. Okay, that's, have, have we done that one then? I think so. Um, we'll yeah, go good to question. David, yes. <clears throat> David Ortega uh, <laughs> says, hello again, uh, September 25th, so only about a month old. <clears throat> David says, um, hey guys, thought I would bug you guys again with random questions, and hopefully this, is, uh, this time something more classic lenses and lens homemade camera podcast. Um, but in either case, this might be an LFPP question. I recently traded, <clears throat> excuse me, a busted Minolta MC 1.2 and Nikkor 51.4 that I got. Uh, that I got a Calumet Caltar 210 f 6.1 Pro Series lens. Um, I need to get the shutter repaired. Uh, on so suggestions for a good U.S.-based tech. Uh, but the meat of what I was going to ask is I've been looking at Kaltar and it seems like they are a rebranded lens company or they rebranded other lenses. How good are they? How good is the lens I got and what kind of lens is it? Um, still getting into large format, but I want to make 3d printed cameras soon. I already had a five, a 90 millimeter five, six Kaltar HR. Uh, and few other lenses, Schneider 47 millimeter 5.6, Yasser X127, Optar 135, Tomanon 114, Tomanon 75, Trio, Trio, <laughs> Patar, Trio, I don't know, 103. Also, I haven't listened since the beginning, but I know Carl used to be on the show. My question was why the tagline of be like Carl. Um, thanks for the great show. I, I play either your podcast first, NPP, or all through Lens when I see the new episodes drop into my small, medium list of podcasts to listen to. Sinceramente, David Ortega. And he gives an Instagram address. So, Curly Peng, Pengling. Curly, curly Pengling. Curly On Pengling. Instagram. We'll put it in the thing. Um, I mean, I, only, I will only jump in quickly as a Chicagoan. Because uh, Kaltar lenses are a bit of a Chicago beast, um, because they're Calumet rebrand branded lenses. Uh, so Calumet Camera was in Chicago, large format camera maker, and Kaltar lenses were their line of lenses. Which yes, they were in fact rebranded lenses by various other makers, and I, they tend to be, you know, very. Some of them are really good. Um, they're as good as whatever underlying lens they're actually, they actually are. I think I, uh, well, certainly, and they're they're pretty modern lenses as well, relatively yeah. speaking, um, right. for for large format lenses. And and there's there's a pretty standard answer that just about any modern large format lens is going to be good, especially when you've got a negative that you that you or a slide that you're going to be um, exposing to that's going to be enormous. Um, the resolving power of that is incredible anyway, and you're not stretching the image in anywhere near as much as you would do on one of the smaller formats. So critical ultimate sharpness is less of a thing with large format. And ultimately, 
you know, those those images are designed to be printed rather than uh, rather than scanned. And you know, you do you do get something special from a large format shot in the, in the image in the in the first place because like I say you, you you're not stretching the image so therefore you're seeing more things in the first place so hence the the sharpness of the lens not being anywhere near as important um i mean yeah he's, he's not really asked the question about uh you know um character with large format lenses is, is listed some of his the lenses that they got is he has and i'd imagine every single one of those is going to be a a, a good lens mm-hmm. um the the triplet lens in there um that might start to do some funky things around the edges maybe um but yeah that's what this is all about isn't it really so uh, if you want if you want uh something that's sharp across the frame then you're going to go for one of the larger brands and then uh, something that's a bit funky. You just put every whatever you feel like on there, and it's gonna gonna deliver something something interesting. Yeah, um, large format. Everything looks good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it exactly. really does. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, it really does. I mean, it's it's so much different. This with smaller format lenses have to be much higher resolution to deliver yeah. the goods compared to large format lenses. That's why it's you, like, yeah. Go on. No, I was going to say it's why it it's counterintuitive, like taking something like a Schneider 47 millimeter, you think, oh, I could adapt that to my mirrorless. You, it's like, yeah, you could, but just why would you bother? I mean, they're, yeah. it, they're not larger, larger format lenses putting on put on smaller format are tend to be very unsatisfying because they're just the smaller format lenses are much, much higher resolution. They have to be to resolve better on a small teeny piece of film. So. Perry, were were you going to say something there? Uh, I possibly, but but I forgot. I was just going to agree. Yeah, large format. You can use a Coke bottle; it'll look good, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I nearly said that actually, for later. Yeah, uh, you read, read the mind there. Um, the, the, and yeah, the, the, this thing about larger lenses going onto smaller formats. Um, I've, I've, I'm not. I've never really been a fan of that. Although, um, putting say 35 millimeter lenses onto micro four thirds, you know, I, I had quite a few years of really enjoying doing that. Um, yeah. but the difference argue. is not as great, right? Between like a large format lens on a 35 yes. millimeter digital camera. So, you know, that's more of a practical limitation of what's available to you to shoot digital at the time. Yeah. But I mean, like if you're going to put a large format lens on, on a Sony, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, and I've, I've, go on. No, I, I was just going to say it's the difference between you're talking about semi trucks versus compact cars. So, you know, 35, a full frame, 35 millimeter lens is like a sedan and a half frame, 35 millimeter lens is like, you know, a compact car. They're not really any different. You're just, you're in small, small camera territory versus anything large format. Yeah. And, and, and the same goes with, with, to, to, to a degree with medium format going on to, on, on to full, full frame, um, I mean, I've, I think probably from about eighty millimeter upwards, there's there's a bit of merit in there, not not a great deal in my in my my opinion. Um, but when you, if you're at the wider end, then it's it, the 
I, I struggle to see any advantages. I mean, one of my favourite lenses ever made is the uh, the Carl Zeiss 50mm f4 for Hasselblad. It's it's an amazing lens on, on the Hasselblad. You put it onto a full-frame camera and it's just a slow 50 and it doesn't do anything of any interest at all. Yeah, because you, know? you, just, you just get the middle and it weighs you down. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it weighs more than the camera does. It's, it's it's just 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 silly in my view anyway. But there you go. Well, the, yeah. the other side of it is, you know, I've done it. <laughs> you know, other people are going to want to do it, and that's just how how it is. We all like messing around with lenses, and just and yeah, we might actually know that something's not a particularly good idea, but let's just do it anyway because it's it's fun, isn't it? So, um, but uh, just going on to um, uh, um, David's near to last point um why we end the show with uh, be like carl um and that uh, came in um uh, after carl died and uh, and the the reason for that is a case of uh, we belatedly realized uh, what a person carl was and the way that he lived his life and uh, the incredible amount of things that he did um professionally artistically um it was just just amazing and we never truly appreciated that at the time and he did it with good good grace um he he had a he did it with a good laugh you know we could we could you know take the mick out of him <laughs> mercilessly um and uh, and he took it and he gave it back and right. it was a case of you know he he he. We idealised Carl, um, frankly, from from what we actually realised, and we should have done it more at the time. But that's just that's just how life is. Um, so you know, we say be like Carl because if you can be, you should be because he led he led life to the full, and uh, and he did it in the best way. So that's why we say it. Yep, indeed. Love you, brother. Okay. All right. Um... Let's go on to uh, Bergy, Bergy twenty two X. That's a I like that from Bergy twenty two X. All right. Anyway, Bergy twenty two X, which is actually someone named Nolan. Go figure. Um, but he says subject classic zoom lens rarity, and he says cheers from Michigan. I can I just say real quick editorial comment. People from Michigan are uniformly awesome. They're just really, really nice people. I'm serious. I'm I'm 100%. If you meet someone, if you're in Chicago and you meet someone just kind of randomly who's really nice, you find out like shortly thereafter they're actually from Michigan. If they're a <laughs> they're from Wisconsin. I, thought, I mean, without fail. Without I, fail. If, I, if you're a asshole, you find, oh, you're from Wisconsin. I got you. It so all makes sense now. I'm I'm just curious now because I thought you were going to say Indiana there. Um, no, no, no. Forget about Indiana. That's just Klansmen and racists. I mean, it's ridiculous. But do you? So, so to get to Michigan from Chicago, you briefly drive through Indiana, right? Just very briefly. But just keep the windows rolled up and don't get out of the car, okay? Because um, you so you spend a little bit of time in Indiana. Indiana is is. I, I can't, I don't have strong enough words to describe what a shithole Indiana is. Um, but Indiana is an absolute shithole. Sorry, I know there's some listeners here from Indiana. I'm really sorry. It's not my problem. It's your problem. Um, <laughs> you're, you're choosing to live in Indiana. Anyway, I hate Indiana. The only place I've ever seen clan paraphernalia openly for sale is in Indiana because it's a racist 
backwater. So anyway, Indiana doesn't even play into this conversation. Um, it's just, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a, it's just part of the road to get to Michigan. I'm, so I'm Michigan, glad I didn't. I'm, I'm glad I didn't mention it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Michigan is awesome, though. Michigan is like other side of Lake Michigan. It's like, uh, you know how you get like. Um, you're close to that body of water and the climate is a little bit nicer because of the prevailing winds. This happens a lot in Europe, not a lot in the U S cause it's a big landlocked doofus of a country, but you know how you get like, it would be like probably along the, the, um, the Adriatic, it would be like how Croatia is awesome, right? There's vineyards and stuff. It's kind of like that, like microclimate wise. So anyway, Michigan is full of like cherry orchards and all this nice stuff. Um, and the people are really, really nice because they live in a nice place. Wisconsin well, you- people are f- miserable. So it's like the, the two extremes of people we have in Chicago. There's a lot of people from each place. And the Michigan people without fail are super, super nice was my whole point. Well, you know, that's just because Michigan as a state is reaching north and pretending to the- be Ontario. This is true. You're, 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 it's a little thumb sticking up Canada's butthole. Right, it's this little thumb of yeah, entry into it's, Canada. It's just, it. I mean, it, it should be part of Canada. It's just the map is drawn stupidly and curves around Michigan. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. And then you've got the Upper Peninsula, even which is even more like just part of Canada. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's actually attached to Wisconsin. So, figure that one, people. Go figure that one. Anyway, um, yeah, Michigan's awesome. I'm really sorry I said bad things about Indiana. Not at all. Um, so cheers from Michigan. My name is Nolan Bergstrom, and I really enjoy your podcast, especially the more technical content. I recently, around June, found an M42 Vivitar zoom lens that I cannot seem to find much information on. Did I mention Mike Pence is from Indiana? I'm just, just if you people are still putting together the pieces. Anyway, sorry. Um, Seemed to find much information on and was wondering if any of you knew more about it. Well, it's Vivitar Series 190 to 180 f4.5 flat field macro lens. It can achieve one to two macro at 180. It looks comical, um, albeit phallic. On my Pentax SV1, my copy is pristine and certainly takes great images and has wonderful Vivitar blue coating on the front element. I think it has... 14 to 18 elements in it. It's heavy. Anyway, I figured it would be fun to talk about. Thanks, Nolan. Yeah, those those are those that's that's an awesome lens. Um it sounds lovely. It is. I mean, if you I don't really use long lenses, but I mean if you were gonna if you wanted a long sort of macro zoomy thing for a really probably a decent price, those the ser- the legit series one Vivitars are really good lenses. Yeah, I, I Googled it before the show, and it has a very good reputation. Yeah, yeah, those are nice lenses. <laughs> Super nice stuff. So, uh, uh, yeah, I guess that's the answer. It's a great lens. I mean, is there anything else you guys want me to say about Indiana <laughs> or Michigan? Or I can give you a more rundown on Missouri is almost as bad as Indiana. Not quite. Well, I Missouri's think just weird. <laughs> Missouri's like inbred weird. 
I think I, I do. I do think that one one time when we got more time, um, we should just list the fifty-two. Is it fifty-two states or is it fifty? I can't remember. It's um, fi- it's fifty for now. It's going to be fifty-two if uh, Biden gets elected because we're going to give DC statehood and we're going to give Puerto Rico statehood, so we can absolutely f- the Republicans. So that I really hope that that will happen in short order. We will bury the f- Republican Party for a generation. Because we will get two Democratic, two more Democratic states and senators, um, and we'll, we will then pack the Supreme Court, and we will f- for the next generation. Because they've been doing it to us for two generations, so it's you know there's a little payback. All's good. I was just there's an election to... next week. Does anybody know <laughs> yeah. there's an election next week yeah. in the U.S.? <laughs> this, this, so we're in the middle of a civil war, and we're having an election next week. Yeah. <laughs> so. I was I was chatting to Perry before we started, and uh, because we're recording the show in a completely different way, and uh, where I don't have proper time notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, this is right. I forgot. I'm sorry, yeah. Simon. Yeah. You're gonna have to like actually listen to the podcast and take all of my <laughs> Indiana stuff out of. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah. Oh my god. So it's apology. Not my, apo- it's, it's not yeah. my fault. It's not. Yeah. My Apologies fault. if I if I miss any, but there you go. I will I will do my best, but that might not be good enough. I'm blaming it on super super nice Nolan from Michigan. He set me off because because Indiana came up. So, <clears throat> so all right. Well, speaking of friendly nice people that we love, who are always in a cheerful mood, we have an email from Jeremy North. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, quality segue. I, I feel like I've been having a conversation with Jeremy. I imagine if I ever come to the UK and have a, a, go to the pub with Jeremy North, it will just be a storm of. I, I could be totally wrong, but he seems like the best person on the planet to rant about shit with. <laughs> I just, I just imagine. I don't know. Um, but you, anyway. say, you, you you would think that, but I've, I've met him on a few occasions now, and he's chill, and he, right? He, he doesn't he just doesn't complain about anything when you meet him. <laughs> Everything's fine, and you know, you have really you have really constructive conversations with him. <laughs> and then he goes I, home. I, I, <laughs> I just remember being utterly shocked when you showed me that photograph you took of him, and and like realizing that he was white. <laughs> oh that's right i remember that now how could you not think jeremy north was some white dude because his facebook profile was black and white this black and white picture for the longest time and he he looked he looked like a black guy and so i just assumed he was you know just i just assumed he was black and then i saw a color photo i was like what the hell he's so white there's you know, nobody there is no black man on the planet named jeremy north <laughs> 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 okay. Anyway, from where is Jeremy from? Uh, I think he's actually from the northeast of England, uh, yeah. but he's now in now he's in Gateshead, not Gateshead, not Gateshead. That is in the northeast of England, um, uh, Cheltenham. It's uh, a very so nice from, part of England. From Cherry Cheltenham, we have an email from Cherry Jeremy North um, on the subject Mamiya TLR. And he says, "Chaps, recently Grace Alavalika Winder chat." Uh, you're veering into the classic cameras podcast schoolboy humor. Uh oh, here it comes. <laughs> the great show keeps coming. Haha. In spite of that, with Dan and Ethan in the last couple of weeks, which were 
amazing value. Actually, I think the smutty chat kicked off a week or so before when Perry mentioned something which I remember causing a stir, that being Goatsy. Um, uh, I just wanted to pipe up about using Mamiya TLRs for macro. I have a C22, which is an earlier version of the C330. You are, you are currently maligning. Uh, mine came haha with an interesting accessory, which is specifically for macro and other parallax challenges. It is a rack and pinion device, which is attached between the camera and the tripod. Uh, once the framing and focus is arranged, you crank the handle and it lifts the camera so that the taking lens is clicked into place exactly where the viewing lens was, thus making possible a picture of exactly what was seen in the viewfinder. Simples. Uh, read the viewfinder chat. Didn't it start after I loaned my G2 kit to Simon? I remember him being particularly impressed by the 21 millimeter Bygon and its viewfind its accessory viewfinder. Uh, then there's my Hasselblad SWC, which he still has. It sounds like he's a little passively aggressively saying, I want my cameras back, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just picking that up. But yeah. um, uh, I think that one also has the same field, field of view on it. And then I, But I don't know because Simon still has it. That's kind of how he's saying it. If he was in the U.S., that's what he would be saying. Anyway, you must get Dan and Ethan to guest on your show sooner rather than later. Love, et cetera, Jay. Well, there's a lot in there. Um, there's a lot in there. There's, there is. There's a lot in there to unpack. Yeah. Um, that I'm not sure. Do we? I'm not sure if we covered the Mamiya TLR thing for macro from a previous episode in a previous email, but I can't remember if it referenced that rack and pinion device that uh, Jeremy's talking about. Um, and I know somebody's um, either think about buying one of those or has got one now. Where uh, Paul Bullock. Um, and he was chatting to me about that. So it's 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 just a, another case of uh, Mamiya um, coming up with solutions for absolutely everything yeah. uh, for that camera. Yep. Yeah, it's a neat little thing. Yeah, you've got to, got to love Mamiya for that kind of stuff. So um, I do, at least anyway. Um, uh, yes, I think we did start talking a bit more about viewfinders when I actually found out that or looked through one and I liked it with that uh, Biogon, uh, which uh, has, has since gone back to uh, to, to Jeremy some, some time ago. Um, and uh, I've had another one on loan, which I've done absolutely uh, uh, nothing with. And that one's actually, that, that one's gone back. And oh, what's his name? Uh, Gilbert, Gilbert Townsend. Um, yes, I never, I didn't actually use it. Um, so there you go. Um, we've corresponded about that anyway. And he says I can borrow it any time I wish, which is uh, which is all very good. Um, and with regard to the uh, the Hasselblad SWC, I don't actually have that anymore because I've sent that on to um, Steve Lloyd of Chroma Camera, uh, who makes large format cameras, who's also currently or well, going to be making a camera for me quite soon as well, which is really exciting. Um, but he's gone off to uh, to Steve for a couple of reasons. One, he's been finding ways of uh, making um, uh, short bodies to go onto large format lenses, and uh, which is virtually a, a cheap way of doing an SWC, um, except you know you find a lens that's 38 millimeter uh, on large format, and it's going to cost an absolute fortune. Uh, but the other side of it is uh, it's got a dodgy, uh, the, well, the way that the viewfinder is attached to the body is, is, is not great. Um, I, I think some 
bolts or screws have been lost along the way. And uh, and the good news is, Jeremy, um, within minutes of it landing at uh, Chroma Towers, uh, Steve has, uh, has fixed it. So uh, I'm, I dare say he might want to have a little play with it first, uh, but he's, uh, he's fixed your viewfinder, so that's, uh, that's, that's great news. Sweet. So you've loaned off Jeremy's Hasselblad. I, I did, but it was with Jeremy's permission, by the way. I, okay. didn't just, I, didn't, okay. I didn't just pack it away. Okay, okay, all right. Okay. So you shouldn't be too upset. No. It's not like he's hearing no. this on the podcast that someone else has his camera. No. That's not, okay. it, it, the, the news is that it's been fixed. That's that's the exciting bit. All right. That's super cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Love, loves to you too, Jay. Thanks for the email. Okay. Um, <clears throat> next email <clears throat> uh, is from, it doesn't say at the top, but I'm looking down at the bottom. It's from J.D. Wagner. Uh, so at the top, uh, it just says subject, thank you. And he said, this is from September the 25th. We're still in September, and it's 11.40 p.m. <laughs> Just making a note here, time-wise, left on the podcast. Um, hey, guys, thanks for reading my email and the kind words about our rods and reels. When I found your podcast, I pretty much assumed that it would be mainly about adapting old lenses to digital cameras, and I'm kind of blown away at how much you talk about film and film cameras. Out of curiosity, would you estimate the percentage of people who shoot, not including cell phones, that shoot film? I have no idea so many people still did, and I find it fascinating when you guys talk about film cameras. Uh, I hope you didn't take my dork crack the wrong way. The business of cane fly rods is a small niche market, and I think bamboo rod makers, myself included, obviously, and people who love the rods would happily cop to the tag. And it seems like there are so many similarities between the communities and this one. Uh, yeah. My thing is adapting old lenses from folders, M42s and projector lenses, the cheaper, the better, just to learn about how they render uh, and learning about the various optical formulas. I enjoy buying them, taking them apart, fixing and cleaning them and fabbing up some easy ways to mount them. As an example, I'm attaching some pics of a Hermagus, Hermagus 140 millimeter Petzval projection lens that I got cheap due to a bad separation, which is pretty, pretty easy to fix. So if you can pick up a lens for a song because of it, you might want to give it a try. The shot is of my cat, my shot buddy, uh, was done with it. The flower shot was taken with simple meniscus from a Kodak, uh, from a vest pocket Kodak. I have several versions of this one with better optics, but I like this one the best. Uh, the last of the Bugatti I thought to attach because recently I went on eBay looking for a fourth copy of this particular lens just in case something ever happened to the third LOL. Totally relate to that. Only to find the listings insanely high. Uh, then I saw your feet. Then I saw you featured it on a show. Love this sucker. Thank you again for the kind words. Two days ago, I lost my shop buddy and model. Ah, and so your kindness means a lot to me at a tough time and brought a smile to me in the shop today. Uh, best JD Wagner. Well, that's a very nice email. Sorry about your cat, man. Yeah, that sucks. Jeez. And it's a well, he, it's, it's a lovely shot of the cat that we we're, we're looking at right now, which uh, unfortunately people listening can't uh, can't see that at the moment. 
it's pretty bad separation that he managed to fix as well. That is impressive. Yeah. Um, although it, I guess a projection lens is, is is a little simpler, but I mean, um, he's right. You know, the communities have a lot of similarities. Uh, I, I feel like this email is resonating with me right now um, because I I'm going fishing on Friday again because uh, I've been fishing a lot the last couple of weeks to unwind from work, and um, we're going on a boat. And in advance, we told the uh, the, the local boat people um, that, hey, we haven't sort of fished this area uh, or, or fished this deep in Hong Kong before. And they basically sent me a list of gear to buy. And I was like, oh, that's your response? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> give you a bunch of gas for different uh, uh, different accessories that I got to go and pick up before this fishing trip? So tomorrow morning, uh, in about six and a half hours, uh, I'm going uh, – I'm going gear shopping, but for for rods and reels. Nice. So, nice. good stuff, JD. I, I I hear you there. Yeah, I I, I think we're t- what we're talking about is the natural brotherhood that exists between small communities of um, people with very geeky, super high level interest in super niche things, <laughs> of which I think fly fishing with bamboo rods certainly falls into a similar category. Oh yeah. People who shoot old lenses on a variety of cameras, but specifically even more so probably on film cameras. Um, we are a tiny micro sliver <laughs> of the overall uh, photo community, but, but, but we're the best one. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, it, there, the film community, the film community thing is growing worldwide, but it's still very, 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 very small compared to like the digital camera, which is also shrinking compared to the people taking pictures with you know their mm. device in their pocket. Um, so it's a mic, it's a micro niche of another micro niche, is what we are. I think the the the, the digital market and people that are taking. Using digital and using old lenses, I th- I think that's that's absolutely continuing to grow, and I think that's a a backlash to to the yeah. sameness and precision of 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 modern lenses, and also as as mobile phones just get better. Um, yes, there, there are going to be some things that it, a mobile phone is going to struggle to do, but for general photography, um, where you want most things in focus and things like that, then yeah. you know, mobile phone photos these days, you'd be hard pressed to spot the difference between that and a, and a really expensive lens on a, on a top uh, camera. Yeah. So, so, so the camera, if what we call a camera, right? A, an independent device that you can attach lenses to, to make photos as opposed to like a phone, which is what most cameras are now. The camera market is shrinking and is continuing to shrink, right? So there are fewer and fewer and fewer cameras sold every year, but more people are opting to put old lenses on those cameras. So we're a growing, it's a growing pursuit in a shrinking market, if that makes sense, right? If yeah. you can kind of imagine those, those, if you can imagine that, you know, thinking about it as a, a pool of people. Um, but yeah, no, I think more and more people are doing it and more people are, are shooting. I, I mean, I just tell you, that's the thing that keeps central camera alive is people shooting film. So it's, it, 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 so it's been growing year on year for the past five years or so. 
but it's still a small niche market, which is why people are so intensely kind of passionate about it as most niche pursuits tend to be. Yeah. Awesomeness. Perry, do you mm -hmm. want to say anything more about, about rods or fishing? Oh no, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving right along. Um, Mark Reeves uh, wrote us on the oh. 27th of September. Um, and he wrote us about the subject of planars and opics and pancros. Oh my. And he says, hello, chaps, a question for you all this time. Uh, then one to annoy Simon because it involves rangefinder lenses. And I want to see if I can make him as grumpy as M. Uh, Opic or planar? Discuss. One for Perry. Since the Taylor Hobson light sumerit 5cm 1.5 is a super speed pancro with a tiny speed reduction to properly cover 35, we can ignore the Zenon patent reference. We all know Zenons are... Opics slash pancros with another name and sumerits whilst having gone up in price recently are dirt cheap compared to ssps then why not just use a sumerit by centimeter 1.5 and get over the ssp lust cheers mark aka flex etc flex uh flex etc on insta so we have an insta link there oh this this email sent all kinds of stuff racing through my head when I saw it, because um, my my first reaction was wait what, um, and and there's two sides of this coin where, on the one hand, it totally makes sense because I see a lot of the similar qualities that I like about the cook speed pancros I have in the light summerit, uh, you know the lower contrast that kind of soft yet sharp rendering and, you know, nice kind of cinematic look that you get on certain films. Um, and so that totally makes sense. Although the Sumerit is much more extreme and less, it, it's very different, especially wide open compared to the speed pancros. Um, and I don't have any super speed pancros cause you know, they're, they're crazy. But on the other hand, I, I have to push back a little bit on his assertion here because all of these lenses that you describe are double Gauss designs in some way, but they are very different, right? Like a Sumerit and a planar, they render completely differently, even though they have, you know, a base similarity in double Gauss. So like the glass that's used makes a difference. The arrangement of the elements makes a difference. So not all double Gausses are alike, but at the same time, I think in terms of like base flavor, uh, the the speed pancros which i've been shooting with a bunch on fuji by the way um recently i have just been shooting a bit of digital with the 35 and 28 cook speed pancros i have and um yeah they, they have that sort of you know it's a, it's a it's a je ne sais quoi it's like a cinematic rendering that i'm really really enjoying on digital right now that the sumer it has but it's not you know it's the same base flavor it's like they're the same cuisine but they're different dishes right so I don't know if that made any sense. It's like almost 1 a.m. here. My brain is fried. <laughs> yeah, that made sense. Yeah, so it's not one or the other. It's use both. Like if I'm going to shoot film, I'm going to use the Sumerit because I can't shoot the Cook Speed Pancros on film because they uh, don't cover full frame and I haven't found a way to get them to work on my Olympus Pen F yet. But if I'm going to shoot digital, 
my preference is to use the speed pancros on the Fuji instead of the Sumerit on full frame. Frame, I think they look better. They're made in England, so you know, the better. Makes sense. Um, just, just going to the top of that email, um, and Mark trying to uh, annoy me and make me miserable and grumpy because we're talking about uh, LTM lenses. Well, you, you, you can't really do that, Mark, uh, because <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here with a uh, a Voigtlander, uh, is it Dynaret? Uh, 100mm f4.8, uh, which the Mark has sent to me all the way from Australia. Um, and this is a Voigtlander T uh, lens. And uh, it's a it's a bit of a beta, a bit of balsam separation and, and, and so on in there. But that wasn't really the point of sending it to me. Um, and the point was uh, that uh, he's bought a few lens caps off me, including, um, going back to his name there, Flexor etc., um, I, I do believe he's got a thing for the Flexoret. Um, and one of the reasons why I know that is because he gave me the dimensions to one and I made him a lens cap for one. Oh, um, that's where those came from. I was wondering. Yes. Yeah, yes. Very nice. Um, but we were having a conversation about, uh, DKL caps, <clears throat> lens caps, which I, which I make. And the, um, the Voigtlander T used the, something, I'm not sure if they're identical or very, very similar, uh, bayonet to, uh, normal DKL, um, except they don't—they're they're not interchangeable, and uh, because they—they appear to be designed to sit a little bit closer to the film plate, which would make sense because the um, the flexoret, not flexoret, put that on my head now. Uh, Vitessa T is a rangefinder lens taking DKL as opposed to um, like the SLR uh, versions. I'm not too sure about the the other the other uh, DKL. Um, cameras that with interchangeable lenses that aren't SLRs, um, but certainly uh, this this one it's got a a, a short it requires a a shorter cap and it's actually cut one of my caps down and sent it back to me um, and the thing fits uh, which is interesting or almost fits anyway so um, I'm going to put a bit of effort into that and start producing some. Um, caps specifically for the uh, DKL for the uh, Vitessity. So um, thank you for that, Mark. And uh, um, and I hope your uh, your lens cap that I made for you reaches you quite soon. It was the last last one I sent. took took forever, I think, to actually get over to you. So uh, fingers crossed for a faster post this time. All right. Um, just side note, I've got a hard stop in six minutes because uh, I have to get over and do the school, school thing with the boy. Yeah, we up I, to the master email i think well I'm, I'm beginning to think perhaps we might start we well seeing that we are actually so tight on time i think we might actually start to wind it up there and then because we we must have another six or seven emails to go through something yeah. like that so well, more um, than that. well there you go and they're continuing in the vein of the emails we've had so far which have been excellent um so I think that's what we should actually aim for doing next week because otherwise I don't think we're going to have enough time to, to comment on things. So uh, I think yeah. we should do, do yeah, things yeah. justice. Okay. So uh, outstanding emails. Uh, absolutely. Um, right. Okay. So um, let's start to wind things up. Um, and so Perry, have you, oh, have you got anything else you need to get off your chest very, very quickly? Uh, nope. Okay. Shout out. 
Uh, so, and, and Johnny, have you got anything you need to uh, get off your, um, off your mind quickly? Other no, than things I mean, about I, thoughts on Indiana? I, uh, I, other than I, that. I, I don't know that I can. I mean, I do have hours more venom about Indiana this year, but I, <laughs> I, I don't need to do that right now. I'd rather wait till after the election when hopefully we've kicked Mike Pence to the curb and then I can really, really go off on Indiana <laughs> even more. That would be great. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I wanted to uh, d- uh, just give a quick shout out to uh, Dustin Coxell for sending me uh, the 3D printed mask to fit over the viewfinder for my 21 millimeter uh, Voigtlander viewfinder so I could take all the tape off my um, off the viewfinder I was using as a makeshift panel mask. I now have a properly 3D printed panel mask that looks and performs awesomely. Um, and there was a post about that in the group. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted to mention it again here real quick because I was so thrilled to, to get it. He's done a great job of it as well. It, 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 really looked, it, it, it looks great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really, it's really slick. And it's way better than just, sticking some tape like literally over the op the optics of the viewfinder <laughs> to try to crop it down so nice nicely done sir thank you very much okay and and i so in our last three minutes have you got a shout out uh perry uh yeah quick shout out to mr christopher j may who i believe is over there in indiana uh not indiana <laughs> illinois sorry johnny <laughs> it's late <laughs> in uh in illinois um, he heard us mention, he heard me mention our previous episode, this, uh, Hel- Kodak Ektar Heliar lens. And he has, uh, sent me three other lenses, uh, to mess around with all of which are kind of broken in some way, mostly have screwed up shutters. Um, but just real quick, there is a Kodak 101 4.5 Ektar, um, for, uh, with the supermatic shutter. There is a Kodak 105 4.5 and a Stigmat, uh, which is from a Recamar folder, uh, which is a Tessar, but it's single coated. Um, and then there is a Kodak and a Stigmat 203 millimeter f7.7, uh, which is a single coated, he says, a single coated version of the famous 203 millimeter f7.7 Ektar with a 4.4 dialyte design that is apparently very sharp. Uh, so I will be trying to find a way to mount the three of these lenses, yeah. probably on the Pentax 6.7, and uh, and give them a go. I've got that last lens, by the way, on a half-plate camera. Is it good? Yeah. I, I don't know. I've not used it yet. <laughs> oh, we'll have a race. See you use it. Yeah. Um, right. Um, for me, I've forgotten all my shout-outs, and I've forgotten all the other things I needed to do. Um, so, uh, Perry, uh, outside of the show, how can people keep up with you? Uh, you can find me on Flickr and Instagram at Perry G. And Johnny? Oh, crap. I haven't thought about Instagram for a while <laughs> since I started doing Instagram again. Uh, you can find me um, uh, Second City Auto on Instagram. Um, you can visit me here at the front porch also if you want as well. And you might actually soon be able to visit me again at Central Camera, which is is – has reopened in the space next door to the actual burnt out space that is still being rebuilt. So I may be back down there at some point, hopefully not too far in the future, but not too soon because we are pandemic spiking like crazy here again. 
we're COVID spiking like crazy. So I'm not in any rush to do it, you know, next week, uh, but hopefully some point soon. That's that's great news. Yeah, fantastic it's, news. It's very very good news. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, there are other things we normally mention, but we'll uh, we'll do that next time. Um, I am on Twitter as Simon Four. I'm on Instagram as Simon Four so Photographic, which is also the name of my website where you can buy lots of lens caps. And if you want lens caps now to fit a odd size lens, including weird and wonderful TLR let TLR lenses. Uh, then get in touch with me because I will be able to help you out as long as you're good at measuring things. That's the key. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's that's just about it. Um, I will thank those people that have uh, donated to us uh, next week. Um, our music is by uh, Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. It's called uh, Octo Blues. Our email address is classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. And who knows, you might get it tagged on to that very long list of emails that, that we've got to go through next time. So that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl.